Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Good evening, this is To Be Discussed with Carpenter, a show that proves that different political opinions do not have to end in feuds and the breakdown of friendships. My name is George Cup, and I'll be joined by my co-host and political opposite, Callum Gurr. Good evening, everybody. That's right, George is a hardline Brexiteer and true blue conservative, whereas I'm a Lib Dem and Ramona. But despite these different standpoints, we are still rather good friends. Tonight we'll be discussing the following... Does there need to be greater support for single dads? What should Britain's drug policy be? And what would you rather, be rich but lonely, or be poor but surrounded by friends? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen, and these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week, we asked you to send us in your opinions on the question, is D-Day the most important moment in history? So the D-Day landings in 1944 during World War II were the biggest invasion by sea in history. It's a key date in the story of World War II. It happened on the 6th of June 1944, after five years of war with Germany, led by the Nazis. The whole operations was codenamed Overlord. Its plan was to overthrow Nazi Germany and its leader Adolf Hitler, and by the end of D-Day, the Allies had put 156,000 troops ashore. At the time, the Nazis had taken over nearly the whole of Europe. The Allied forces landed on the beaches of Normandy in France and started to break through the German army's defences. They began an attack that lasted for 11 months and took them all the way to German to the German capital, Berlin, to the bunker that was Adolf Hitler's headquarters but we want to know if you think 
it has importance. So let's find out. Our first opinion is from Michael, and he says, I would say that D-Day is one of the most important moments of history, but probably not the most important moment, because there are so many moments in history which have defined the way we live today. The most important moment could be seen as the moment when Tim Berners-Lee invented the Internet, which is something that um, has infiltrated every day of our lives. I know that uh, the the Defeating of the Nazis and starting to win back independence of Europe also impacts the way we live our lives today, but so have lots of other moments. So it's one of the most, but I don't think you could say it's the most. Callum, your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think um, Michael's right in saying that, um, you know, there probably are other more important moments, or, or at least it's very hard to to kind of accurately compare very distinctive moments in history because because uh, um as michael gives the example of the invention of the internet you know ultimately that has changed our our lives in the modern day probably in in a sense more than what the d-day landings have directly um but of course then you can bring in a whole other argument of would we have invented the internet without the d-day landings and get get into this kind of alternate history kind of scenarios um so so i think um michael's right though to say that ultimately whether or not it's the most important is is maybe beyond the point the point is that it's still a very very important moment although i think quite interestingly there's an argument to be made that d-day is perhaps not actually even the most important moment in world war ii uh i think you know, there's a there's a few other uh, cases that we could have for what's a more important moment in World War II. Uh, firstly, um, Operation Sea Lion, uh, which was the um, attempted uh, kind of invasion of the United Kingdom or, or Great Britain um, by the by Nazi Germany, um, and the kind of decision that uh, the the Nazis took to rather than continue to bomb the airfields, which was actually working a lot because we were only days really away from defeat, to switch it to, to focus on um, civilian populations and, and the blitz that it was called then, uh, or, or, or it's been called in history. Um, and that kind of decision really ultimately meant that the, uh, the UK stayed in World War II uh, and ultimately you really couldn't have D-Day without that. But then also, if we look at kind of more the Pacific War, um, you know, the Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki bombings or or atomic bombings, obviously, they've had a massive impact upon history. And that's not even really bringing into the kind of Operation uh, Barbarossa or um, the kind of conflict between the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany. And there is a strong argument to be made that, Actually, we probably never would have defeated Nazi Germany if it weren't for the Soviet Union as well, despite the fact that we also should then say that the Soviet Union's kind of uh, the regime that they had was very, very um, bad, I suppose would be the simplest way to put it, uh, and certainly wasn't the kind of saving grace that maybe, or, or the clean kind of good versus bad that in a sense, that it's billed as in terms of World War Two. Um, what what did you think of that opinion, George? Sorry, I've just rambled on there a bit. 
No, it's fine, mate. You you ramble on all you want. It means that I can rest my voice. Um, <laughs> it's I think I think um, Michael makes a um, a very good point here, um, and I, I do believe there are very different defining moments in history, however far back you look, um, and you could say that that is the most important one. And it's very very hard to kind of pick out an individual event that has happened in history and say that that has had the most impact on the way we live today. I think obviously the D-Day landings is is very much in the top maybe five or ten because it has had a massive impact on on where we are um, today as a country. And I, and I think that's what is key. I think this question is actually quite generational. If you ask the generation of our grandparents or even their parents, I think they would probably turn around and say, yes, absolutely. Um or if you asked um, somewhere like Australia, they would say, I, well, I don't know, probably because um, they they weren't involved. So as a as a if we're looking at a national international history, then I wouldn't say D-Day is as significant as maybe other um, times in history. But but also, like I said, I think it is very, very generational in, in terms of how we um, go about this. But also, I think it's hard to try and pick out certain areas of World War Two when you clearly say, Callum, that there are a lot of triumphs and a lot of um, actions and battles that happened that have also been of great significance. And we shouldn't be um, pushing those to one side. Um, just because there is this kind of more um, media and and, and uh, awareness around D-Day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's certainly more kind of cultural capital to um, D-Day than what there is to, say, uh, bringing up the Soviet Union's conflict with um, Nazi Germany as well, which is obviously part of the same war, but because we're obviously from the, the kind of Western world, D-Day's taken a more more significance almost than than that conflict has uh moving on to the next opinion which is from chloe chloe says people massively underestimate the importance of d-day and the way that it set up a win for the allies and really was the beginning of the end of nazi rule without d-day we could very easily be living in nazi britain don't forget that and just based on what we know about world war ii that probably isn't a place you'd want to live D-Day was that moment which helped to shape the way the world is at the moment. Just one example of that is that the result of all the Allied forces was the foundation of the League of Nations, which is now the United Nations. What do you think about that, George? Well, I think um, Chloe really um, reinstates what we have been saying in terms of the importance that we do feel around D-Day. Um, and as much as we've been saying that there are other events that have happened that are significant, there is no way that we can take away how important D-Day was for our country. And um, as Chloe says, for other nations as well, because it did lead to a development of the League of Nations and then into the United Nations, which is something that has kept um, are safe internationally for a very long time and I believe that will carry on for a very long time as well um, so yeah I think D-Day is incredibly important and we should never ever forget the way it has helped us develop in terms of as a society but also develop in terms of relationships with other countries um, and to make sure that there is a fight against far right or left movements in like fascism um and to make sure that the, the world is at peace um what, what are your thoughts callum yeah no i think um chloe's right in that possibly um there is an underestimation of the importance of d-day although i don't actually think there is 
from a from a British kind of perspective of it, and possibly even from an American perspective as well, because I think almost to it, to an extent, and this is not to downplay um, the kind of significance of the, the the British effort in the war or anything, but I think we we maybe do over exaggerate how, how important it was in that actually when crucially when it came down to D-Day, ultimately Nazi Germany was already defeated effectively by this point. Uh, the Soviet Union was coming at them with some speed, and that's one of the reasons, or or one of the kind of big things that led to the Cold War and and a big sticking point between the Allies as they were, so between Stalin and and then uh, Churchill and uh, Truman in in America or Roosevelt originally actually. Uh, but one of the big sticking points was that they felt that we could have opened up actually and had the D-Day landings a lot earlier than what, yeah. what we did. Um, and so actually by the point that it came to 1944 and we actually had them, um, the Nazi Germany from the east had already been pushed back a, a hell of a lot. Um, so so I do think actually, probably in terms of, a, from a British perspective, I don't actually think B-Day is as important as what the kind of Battle of Britain was. Uh, and we shouldn't ever... Um, forget the fact that really we were the only ones standing against Nazi Germany um, after, um, during the Battle of Britain. Um, and of course, we do have massive importance through that. But actually, I, I think if we look at really what's happened in history and what, what the state of play was when it came to the D-Day invasions, I'm not 100% sure they're actually as important as what maybe Chloe's made out and maybe actually even I made out earlier. Mm. Um, a really... Um Good point here by Jamie. Um, it says it's difficult to say because D-Day is an important historical moment, but whether it's the most important, I'm not sure about because there are so many and history has a way of making other historical moments happen. For example, World War One is one of the most is one of the reasons Hitler became war obsessed in the first place. So arguably, uh, without that, there wouldn't have been a need for a D-Day. Um, also, the American Revolution had a massive impact on the world. I don't think you could call any one moment the history. Uh, sorry, I don't think you could call any one moment the most important moment in history, in my opinion. So, I mean, should we not be pointing out kind of key moments in history should we be kind of saying that if this didn't happen then the other thing wouldn't have happened so they're both equally as important um, I, I think Jamie's right to a certain extent with that so I, th I think that's kind of similar to to how I've been been arguing this in a sense uh, and I do I do think Jamie's dead right I mean <laughs> then there's there could then be an argument that we could we could say that the first humans that existed the kind of the Adam and Eve, that is the most important moment in, in history. Uh, so I suppose there is a there is a point where it becomes a bit kind of ridiculous. Although I don't actually think Jamie's making the argument we shouldn't celebrate any moments in history. I think it's just saying that we should always be aware and know the history behind the history, ultimately. And I think I think that's dead right. I mean, what did you think of that, George? Well, to be honest with you, Callum, I couldn't have said it better myself. Um I think it's we have to be very aware of of the 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 reasons why these moments in history happened, and it's very easy to forget the the reasons behind why these significant moments in history happened. And I I think we're very quick to kind of assume that this was the most important day when there are a lot of other 
um, crucial times in history that have proven that um, that have made us live the lives that we do today. Absolutely. Um, right. So remember, we will be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that, um, for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. Um, right then, we've now reached a time for our first break of this evening. So we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. Right then, time to move on to our second discussion of this evening. We are asking, does there need to be greater support for single dads? So today is Father's Day in the United Kingdom, a day set aside each year to celebrate fathers and the great contribution they make to their children's lives and wider society. I'd like to very quickly thank my own dad for providing me with all the support he has. He truly is one in a million. And that's the only present you'll be getting this year, Dad. So enjoy it. <laughs> Joking aside, uh, Father's Day uh, has led us into a conversation about one often overlooked group when it comes to the modern family, single dads. Uh, we've seen paternity leave introduced in recent years, but is enough being done to support this group? George, do you think there needs to be a greater support for single dads? And if so... What does this support look like? Um, well, firstly, I would just like to um, say happy Father's Day to my uh, my father as well. Um, and thank you very much for everything you've done for me over the years. I would not be in the position I am today without your support. Um, but getting back to this question, because I think it's a really important question. And it's a question that I feel doesn't get asked enough um, because I feel that maybe sometimes there are Sometimes people are afraid to maybe ask this question or afraid to actually say, talk about this, this element of life, this, this group in society. Um, and, and unfortunately, I don't believe there is enough support out there for single dads. Um, I, I, th- I feel like that there is a lot of attention on um, single mums and, I, and don't get me wrong, they are the majority and I do believe single mums do a fantastic job and I think they are they deserve all the support that they get but uh, that doesn't mean that I f- I feel that single dads shouldn't receive that same support yeah. um, and I feel like there is sometimes quite a lot of stigma around single dads um, because normally if you look at a normal family situation or parents split up it's normally the mum who um, looks after the children rather than the dad um, and it, it is very rare circumstances that we see a single dad looking after the kids full time um, and I feel like we need to raise the the stigma around it make sure that we are using language to that, that helps single dads because it is an incredibly hard thing and it is a very lonely thing to do and, I, and I'm sure because it's a minority group in society it can feel like you are really by yourself being a single dad i know there are support groups out there that will help dads um, i mean one of the biggest ones is uh, gingerbread which is support for um for single dads and they do everything from counsel for uh, on bereavement they they counsel on support with how to get money and benefits um and i do as much as this government has made step forwards in terms of introducing um elements like paternity leave I do believe there is a lot more that we could be 
could be doing in just raising awareness and and just by raising awareness i think we will start to see a more acceptance and a more of an open discussion around single dads and single parents themselves um what do you think callum yeah no i think you're right to bring up the stigma i think stigma is a, a massive thing when it comes to single dads and it's probably it's one of the hardest things for a, a government or, or even a, a charity, I suppose, to to help kind of tackle. Mm. Um, because I think if you if we look at a really kind of simple situation of single dads out with his daughter, uh, y- young daughter, um, I don't know, six years old, seven years old, uh, and ne- their daughter needs to go to the toilet. Um, d- you d- wouldn't normally make a, a seven-year-old girl or boy go to the toilet by themselves would you but um obviously for for single dads they don't have to face the stigma of uh either they go into the 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 girls bathroom with with their with their child or they go into the boys bathroom and and then their child face the stigma so so either way there is this kind of um stigma i think that probably greater affects single dads than what it does single mums just because, as you say, George, um, it's kind of an ex- there's an expectation, which is a kind of a, a symptom of patriarchy, I suppose, that um, uh, um, women would be uh, or the women in a broken down marriage would take care of the children. So so when a dad's doing it, even if it's on more of a part time basis, um, the kind of expectation is that they're not going to be doing those kind of nurturing things that the mothers would do no absolutely not and and i feel um i feel there has been so long because um the way that society has gone and and the 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 amount of awareness there is around single mums um do do you think maybe the way forward is by introducing a an element of not just having this attachment or labeling of single mum, single dad, but approaching it as a single parent. And by doing that, we get rid of the idea of um, what gender that person is. And by having a single parent, we then have single parent support. So, again, there's not just the single mum support and single dad support. You have a, a generalized support system in place, no matter what gender you associate yourself with yeah um i think yeah it's an, an interesting one i think we should be looking um to to having sort of more gender neutral um kind of terms that we use for things and and support mechanisms that are more yeah as you say gender neutral um i i think probably in practice we do quite often just call them single parents but i think then you have to tackle the fact that if i say single parent to you george do you think of a woman generally? I think you probably do, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I and I do feel ashamed to say that, but I do. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we as a society, um, and, and that's much harder to do, but we, we've almost got to kind of reverse engineer ourselves to, to, to not have those kind of biases that dictate that a single parent means a single mother. Mm. Um, and I think another thing that, um, what I've talked about earlier does bring on to is having more kind of genderless bathrooms. I think there is um, a, a lot more kind of baby change areas that are gender neutral, but I, I think we should be looking um, 
to implement that more widely, not just because of because it provides greater support for single dads, although I think it does, but there's a whole other kind of um, arguments to be had about why, why that's a good thing. I mean, George, in terms of tackling stigma, other than kind of labelling them more as single parents and providing support in that way, how else do you think we can tackle the stigma? Um, I think we can tackle it by showing that single dads can be good parents as well. Um, I think there's a lot of stigma around that if you're a dad, you're potentially not as good a parent as the, the mother. You're not as nurturing. Um, you're potentially not as caring. And I think by tackling the way that we perceive parents to be, um, whereas instead of being seeing a dad as the um, the authority figure in, in, in a um, parenting relationship, if we make sure dads are seen to be the the more um, loving parent or to show that they can be both they can be mum and dad as a single parent Um, and and I think that's really important because by doing that I feel like that bad stigma around single dads won't be there as much yeah yeah for sure I mean yeah I think I think that's definitely right George Uh, and I think also it kind of brings on naturally to the kind of education as well I think it's something we talk about a lot on this show but but I think if we kind of educate people um the facts that um as you say George that um dads can be the kind of more nurturing parents or can be equally nurturing uh and that they can do a lot of these things that are traditionally seen as the kind of mum's realm Mm -hmm. uh, and vice versa as well because obviously uh, as you said George I mean uh, single mums do an awful lot of, of of great things as well, and and they they have it um, hard in, in in equal ways, just slightly different, I think, than probably what single dads do. Yeah. Um, although a lot of the things there is a lot of overlap there in terms of the fact they have to take on kind of every role, where whereas you kind of you have that kind of classic parenting relationship, good cop bad cop, but for single parents, obviously that they literally they're bad cop and they're good cop at the same time so so that does pose challenges in itself Mm, no absolutely um as to try and make it maybe a little bit more personal in let's say you were um an extra 10 years old or however um years old and you had two children and um unfortunately maybe you split up with um your wife and you became the full-time parent of um your two children what is it what is the main area of support you think you would want help with um i i think it probably slightly depends upon the uh the gender of your child as well though Mm. because i i actually had a bias there in that i just assumed then that my that it was a daughter i had as such Uh, and i think that that's the harder relationship to, to have as such as as a single dad in that um to understand um what um girls are going through when they're growing up is is very difficult for someone that obviously has been growing up as a boy as such so i think that would be where i'd need more support in in understanding what they're going through and obviously i don't i think also we should probably face on record you can't be everything to to everyone as such and and ultimately um you're gonna have to lend on support from family members if you're lucky or also the kind of infrastructure we have from um 
the government, but also from the charitable sector as well. So I think it that would be the realm in which I, I'd probably need the most support, it, presuming, obviously, that I have daughters. Uh, what what about you, George? Where would you be looking for that support? I think just the uh, the mental support, to be honest with you, I would I, I feel like I would be relying on my family quite a lot for that that backup support, um, and maybe the support of of the the judgment around me, maybe taking um, as you say my two daughters out if I had them, um, and yeah, I think it it does obviously very much depend on any situation that you are in but but for me definitely i would be relying on that that kind of moral family support that and the network of friends that i have um to help me through the given situation absolutely right then we've reached time to go on to our second subject of this evening but remember to vote on this poll does there need to be greater support for single dads you can do that with a radio.co.uk forward slash listen and we'll be back very soon Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before the break we asked, does there need to be greater support for single dads? And to find out the results to that poll, head over to our Twitter page, that's at WizRadio. Right, so let's move on to our third discussion of this evening. And we're asking the question, what should Britain's drug policy be? So currently, under the Misuse of Drugs Act 1971, illegal drugs are divided into Class A, B and C. Penalties are most severe for Class A drugs like crack crack, cocaine and heroin, and least severe for Class C drugs like CAT and um, anabolic steroids. Producing or supplying a Class A drug can be punished with life imprisonment, while there is a 14-year maximum term for Class B and C drugs. Um, Possession is treated less severely, so with a maximum sentence of seven years, five and two years for um, Class A, B and C respectively. Warning and on-the-spot fines are sometimes given for possession of drugs depending on what they are so the options for this multi-pole question is keep them the same legalize only cannabis decriminalize all drugs penalize drug users more or other so callum what do you think well i i think um there's there's two of them really that i would want to do uh, I think the first one is is legalizing only cannabis. I think we've 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 talked about that, but obviously the only kind of rules out that option, I suppose. But in terms of the case for legalizing cannabis, I I think it's quite clear that the the kind of negative effects of cannabis consumption are no worse than what um, d- taking uh, or drinking alcohol is. Yet we we've got one legal and one illegal effectively so i think it's clear that based upon that um we we should be making cannabis consumption legal but also i think the extra tax revenue it would bring in could we could then use to to treat people with addictions to a a wide range of drugs as well Uh, and i think it kind of leads on nicely to the fact that i think we should be taking more of a public health approach when it comes to Britain's drug policy and I think that's ultimately what we should be doing and so the the kind of option out of those that I would be going for would be decriminalizing all drugs 
because I think if you do that, it means that if people become addicted to whatever drug it is, because it because it's uh, decriminalized, um, they can actually go to people and say, I, I need help with this. I need to. I mean, ultimately, we're going to have to be frank and say that a lot of people will have to be weaned off of these drugs rather than you can't go cold turkey straight away. Um, but so that we can start getting their, their life back on track. And then I think that also brings in a, a kind of wider thing in terms of making sure that we have the right housing support, the right health support in terms of uh, mental health as well as physical health as well to, to try and rehabilitate these people who, who are taking drugs. But I think ultimately the case is quite clear for decriminalising all drugs as well. Uh, but I do think legalising cannabis is something we should look to do. And I would also be tempted to watch with um, kind of interested eyes with what happens to those that actually go ahead and legalise all drugs and see, let's look at the evidence, but let's see whether or not that actually leads um, to people taking uh, less drugs and people getting the help they need and, and things like that. But, but of course, we can't go kind of gung-ho about this we've got to be kind of nice and steady about it but i think decriminalizing all drugs is something we should be looking to do what about you george um i i as a conservative i i think it's or or i should say i I would say the conservative overall message would be to probably keep our laws the same or maybe if anything um if we're looking at the more far right area of the party they would turn around and say we need to penalize drug users more however i like to think myself as a more liberal conservative um and and i would say that as much as these laws that are in place have had an impact and are doing a level of work, I don't think they are doing enough. And by creating a um, a bad message around drugs or, or even criminalising the drugs that we use today means that people will – if people are addicted to them, they – even if they're illegal, they will still do all they can – to make sure they can get access to these drugs. And by doing that, we are making a, um, a black market go ahead in terms that we are letting these people um, use drugs that the dealer might turn around and say, yes, it's crack cocaine, but it could have all kinds of materials in it. Um, and, and it, it can be dreadful. And I, and I think it's, it's right for any sane government to turn around and say that we need to, uh, to make sure that we are battling this face on. And by decriminalizing drugs, we can ensure that these drugs that are being used by people um, are purer and we can make sure that we are implementing the help that they need. And and if we are looking at a system where just off the top of my head, where we are saying, if you do use these drugs, we can put tax upon them like cigarettes. Um, and by that money that we get from that tax if if i was if i was in government i would turn around and say that money we get from the tax from um selling these drugs is we use in rehabilitation for these drug users to help wean them off those drugs um i do think especially i'm on the side of legalizing cannabis um only cannabis because i think cannabis is something that is um quite casually used nowadays 
Um, we will find little police officers if they spot check someone and just find um, cannabis on them. They will just they very rarely even give them a written warning. It's normally just a verbal warning of come on, I, let's just hope I don't catch that on you again. Um, be on your way. Um, and, and I think that's the right approach to, to go around it. And, and I feel like there are you know, there are research to say that that cannabis does less damage than alcohol does. Um, and if alcohol was discovered in today's society, it would be a class A drug. Um, and it, it it is situations like that. And and I do believe that we you know, this the, the Misuse of Drugs Act is in, was um made around 1971 even though there have been um clauses of it that are a lot more modern it still is an over 40 year old act and we need to make sure we are modernizing our approach i mean if we look at a country like portugal they have um i might be wrong in what i'm saying technically but i'm pretty sure they've decriminalized most of their drugs and they have seen a reduction in drug use drop dramatically um and and i think it's i think we have to like you said Callum, we have to go by the evidence that is already out there yeah no i completely agree with you there. i mean i i believe actually uh that portugal may have even legalized their drugs although i'm not 100 percent sure either to be honest with you um but as you say we should be looking at, at what the evidence says and, and so we should be looking at what portugal is doing now and and replicating that approach a lot more um, yeah. i mean so no, Sorry. you carry on, George. I was just going to ask you um, on the on the uh, back of that. Uh, one of the arguments against decriminalising drugs or legalising cannabis is that it will encourage more people to use it, and it will encourage you. It opens a field for people to use it, obviously legally. Yeah. Um, as someone that, as I far as I am aware, um, doesn't take drugs, um, are if you knew that something like crack cocaine or heroin or cannabis was legal. Do you think that would make you more viable to use it and more more willing to use it? Um, I don't I don't think so. But I, I, I will have to be honest in that we, I think we've grown up in in a culture where um, th- those types of drugs have been um, I- illegal and have been seen as the, the real big bad. I, 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 I don't think there would ever be a scenario in which. I would really even consider it, but we would have to be careful about the approach that we're taking. What if we were to legalize these things, and and we should be making sure that the kind of public perception of them is still that that they are ultimately a bad thing to be taken. I think, and and that we we, we shouldn't be culturally kind of encouraging the consumption of them, like what we have culturally for alcohol at the moment. Um, so, so it's a it's a tightrope that you've got to walk, and it's very difficult. Um, but I think for me personally, um, if they were to become legalised, it's not going to make me any more inclined to to take cocaine or heroin or whatever yeah. it is. What about you, George? No, I, I absolutely the same. It won't it won't make me um, be any more inclined to uh, to take any of the you know class A, B, or C drugs. It really, really wouldn't. Um, I mean, I suppose as as the Tory leadership are admitting, I suppose I should maybe come out and admit something that I have tried uh, marijuana and um, I, I, I've smoked it a couple of times just to get on the, the Tory leadership bandwagon. Um, <laughs> um, and, and I, I, as I say, I don't think it's necessarily that bad a thing to to have. Um, I'm not saying for anyone to 
go out and try and break the law. Please don't do that. Um, but I, I do also think it's key from what I am saying is that I'm not saying that overnight we should make um, all drugs decriminalised. I think maybe we should try it out on a couple of maybe class C or B drugs, see how that goes. And then from that, we can slowly encourage the decriminalisation or legalisation of drugs, um, because if we just drastically turned it around, I don't believe that we would see the correct impact that we need to have. Whereas if we slowly dribbled it into into society, I think that would make sure we were um, having the correct impact. Do you think that is kind of the right assessment to have? Yeah, no, I agree with you because ultimately, um, probably no matter how much you regulate these drugs, they are going to, to cost lives in, in the same way that alcohol currently costs lives like it is regulated but it's still you know if if someone's kind of ha- uh, has excessive consumption of it, it is it is going to cost people's lives so we've got to make sure that we're minimizing those risks as much as possible when we're doing it but also being sensible about it and saying well what's actually realistically the best way to reduce down the users of something that we actually ultimately you know is, is a bad thing to be doing or at least a bad thing to be doing i suppose regularly would be the, the way I'd, I'd most put it yeah absolutely right so Callum, who do you think will come or who what do you think uh, will come out on top out of those options um as much as i think we've talked a, a lot about decriminalizing all drugs uh, I think legalised cannabis is still the one that is most kind of popular amongst the public, particularly probably amongst our, our listeners who are obviously a younger demographic. What about you, George? Um, well, I seem to have a habit of getting these wrong. So um, I would I would probably say I would probably agree with you, Callum, or I would maybe go for the area of penalised drug users more, maybe. Um, I don't know why. It's kind of drawing me into it a little bit. It'll be interesting to see. It will. Absolutely. Um, right. So remember to vote on this question. What should Britain's drug policy be? And the options are keep them the same, legalize only cannabis, decriminalize all drugs, penalize drug users more or other. And you could do that on wizardradio.co.uk forward slash system. We'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. So for that break, we asked the question, what should Britain's drug policy be? And you can find out the results of that question on our Twitter page. And that's at Wiz Radio. Right. And time to move on to our fourth and final discussion of this evening. Uh, stop crying. Listeners, stop crying. <laughs> uh, and we're asking the question, what would you rather be rich but lonely or be poor but surrounded by friends george what do you think on this one well i do you know what it it would say a lot of it would say a lot about me if i said i'd be i'd like to be rich and lonely wouldn't it really um <laughs> it would yeah classic so, story <laughs> so that's why i'm going for it no um <laughs> i as much as i would love to be rich and i would i would honestly miss so much my the the 
friendships that I have and I would miss that relationship that I uh, that I do have and I I get very lonely as it is and I I don't want to be even more lonely um, without any friends so (laughs) even though I would have money to maybe potentially buy some friends they wouldn't be your proper friends would they Um, and I think because of that it it would be hard And, and again you might have the argument that being rich you could go out and do all these amazing things and you could but crucially you'd be by yourself and that's never fun and um, believe me i've tried so huh. um i would choose the option of i'd rather be poor but surrounded by friends because i think personally if we're looking at values personally to me friendship is worth a lot more than any money could ever buy oh that's lovely i'd be written no, i'm joking <laughs> uh, <laughs> no i definitely would would uh, be be poor but surrounded by friends i mean obviously there's a there's probably almost like a where do we qualify it in terms of what what do we actually mean by poor do we mean living in poverty or do do we mean you know just kind of above the bread line and and questions like that and in rich are we talking like a billionaire or just like comfortably getting by so i suppose if we're gonna really dig deep into this question there's there's maybe a nuance to be had in that debate though yeah no absolutely um but do you do you so if if i mean i I suppose this is kind of a given given answer but if i turn around and said to you that you could be rich but only choose one friend would would you go for that ah me and tommy p (laughs) oh oh, wow (laughs) great uh no (laughs) no i i don't think I could do that either, to be honest, because when you spend time with one person a lot, they do inevitably end up annoying you, no matter who it is. There's, there's not really any person I can ever say that I've spent a significant amount of time with just them, and we don't argue at all. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I don't think I'm a massively argumentative person. You might disagree, George. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, even so, I, I think it, it's, um, you know, even with one person, you will end up arguing. So maybe you'll still end up with no friends in that scenario. I mean, are you different, George? With, I mean, obviously, I am a delight to be with, and I'm presuming I would be the one you'd pick. Um, um, well, <laughs> it would it'd probably be between um, Mark and Tom. So it's the best man debate all over again. George has said that I'm not going to be his best man. Can you believe yeah. it? I mean, obviously George isn't going to be my best man either. But you know that that's uh, that's for me to decide. I mean, I, I'm George's only friend, so you would have expected I would I mean, be I think, his best man. I think the listeners can make up their their own conclusion in in, in the way you read introductions and speeches. So it would be <laughs> quite a quite a bad best man speech. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, George, you're on fire tonight, honestly. We'll oh, be having words after this. We'll be having words. Oh, I'm so scared. <laughs> uh, so so um, I, I think I, I wouldn't want to choose just one friend because, as you quite rightly say, Callum, spending a lot of time with um, a friend can sometimes get on your nerves. I mean, Callum and I have been spending quite a lot of time with each other over the last couple of weekends, and I've been, yeah. I can't wait till we get back to work um, <laughs> just to not see your face. Oh, we went. We went on a lovely date. We went um, walking along the White Cliffs of Dover. Uh, the other day. I, I, you know, I thought it was absolutely lovely. The only thing it was missing, George, 
was a picnic, to be honest with you. I thought if we'd have had a picnic, you know, a few sausage rolls, scotch eggs and whatnot, it'd have been lovely. Perfect day. And of course, a, a little smooch as well. I mean, Callum, the, uh, how windy it was, our picnic would have blown away very quickly. So <laughs> I don't think it would have been that successful. Um, and I mean, yeah, I, I do agree with you. The only thing that was missing, um, was Thomas Parker. But anyway, <laughs> it's probably time to end this topic, isn't it? Yes, no, it, it is, George. Um, right then, we've reached uh, the final song break of this evening, but don't forget to vote on this poll. What would you rather, be rich but lonely or be poor but surrounded by friends? And you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen, and we'll be back very soon. <laughs> Hello and welcome back. So before the break, we ask, what would you rather uh, be rich but lonely or be poor but surrounded by friends? And you can find out the results to that poll by heading over to our Twitter page. That's at Wiz Radio. Right then, we've actually reached the time to end this evening's show. So thanks very much for listening to To Be Discussed with Cuffinger. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, as mentioned earlier for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like to hear your thoughts on the question. What is a political... Actually, do you know what? It's not a question at all. It's what we want you to ask us a question. So, what is a political question that you have always wanted to ask Callum and Forslash or me? And you can do that by sending us an email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter. That's at wizardradio. So, remember... We want you to send in your questions, um, any political question that you have always wanted to ask Callum and or me. And we're looking forward to hearing your opinions next week. Um, But it is now time for Callum and I to be leaving. I wish it was Tom and I to be leaving. But (laughs) I I have been George Lawrence Cup. And I've been Callum Gurr. And for those questions, guys, if you can stray away from Brexit as much as you can, we'd really appreciate that as well. (laughs) Uh, Thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week for another episode of To Be Discussed. Goodbye, guys. Ciao for now. (laughs) 